Okay, last time we were together, we were in chapter 7, and that again was the first half of this uh, literary unit called an inclusio, that includes chapter 8, and we're, we're into that chapter this coming week. Uh, the event of chapter 7 was that there was a small committee that had come down from Bethel, and uh, <clears throat> they, were, they were coming in, the, in December of 518 BC, two years after the, the eight visions of Zechariah and two years before Zerubbabel would finish his temple, his building on the temple in Jerusalem. The question that that committee brought was, do we keep fasting? You know, we've been doing this for 70 years. Is it the right thing to do? So they, they came to they came to the priests at the, in the construction site at Jerusalem and they wanted to talk to the, to the priests, the prophets, excuse me. And the prophets were Zechariah and Haggai. And uh, as that question was uttered about fasting, the Lord of hosts spoke into and through Zechariah in that moment and said, quote, say to all the people of the land and the priests, and then what he intends to say there is, when you were, when you were doing all that fasting for 70 years, was that for me? Or was that just for yourselves? Then that followed, was up, followed up by um, two do this commands and to don't do this commands. The people in Judah and Bethel and in Jerusalem were to dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion, each one to the other. They were not to oppose and oppress the widows, the orphans, the strangers, and the poor. They were also not to devise evil in their hearts against one another. The Lord, through Zechariah, then played back how the forefathers of Judah had responded when the, when the, the Lord had, had been pr- sending prophets to them prior to the captivity. They had refused to listen. They turned a stiff shoulder, a stubborn shoulder. They stopped their ears from hearing, and they made their hearts like flint. Now, because of that, the Lord's great wrath had been poured out, and he'd been, but he'd been promising that to them. If you persist... In this response to me, it's coming. 250 years he did that. That's patience. He scattered the people as with a great storm wind to the nations. And it's only grace that breaks through that wall of sin. Have you had any hard heart encounters this week? Anybody you were talking truth to and they went, ah, You know, back away. Okay, there we go. There's one. Okay. Now the story of Israel is a picture of the rest of the earth. It's only that the the Lord had chosen Israel to be his people. So it's more poignant for the Jews. The net result is that all the earth has refused to listen, turned a stubborn shoulder, stopped their ears from hearing, and they've made their hearts like flint. So we need to pray. Loving and patient Father, you waited many years and you sent many prophets. You warned repeatedly and Judah turned away. Our forefathers have turned away. But because of your persistent love, you kept revealing more and more about Jesus until we were melted and our hearts were softened and our longing for you was awakened and we came to you by the blood of Jesus. We're grateful, Lord. We're also aware that We're surrounded by those who have not yet heard or have not heeded your call. Soften our hearts toward them, Lord. Put us on assignment. 
we would be ready to show them Jesus with our lives and ready to speak your words to them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's uh, turn to Zechariah chapter 8. Um, in chapter 1, uh, chapter, verse 1, the Lord is just in kind of warm-up phase, okay? He's getting ready to speak, and in verse 2, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceeding jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. Thus says the Lord, for I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mount of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, in the various texts that you have, you may see that phrase, the Lord of hosts, translated as um, the Lord Almighty. He is the Lord of armies, and he is the Almighty One. So those four terms are encompassed in that that phrase, um, Yahweh Savaoth. Chapter 7 began, uh, and here's what we set a balance. Chapter 7 spoke of judgment. Chapter 8 begins with promises. The tension between sin and blessing in the Hebrew scriptures is there throughout. In chapter 7, Judah and all Israel is to repent and choose righteousness after captivity. In chapter 8, Judah is to repent and choose righteousness because of the promises of the Lord of hosts for full restoration. It's all going to come back to them. In in verse 2, the word jealous appears twice, and that obviously amplifies its use. That word describes the Lord's protective love and his passion for Israel. And here specifically for Judah. He does desire exclusive worship and he has a fiery angry, fiery anger against any nation that opposes Judah. The word jealousy also speaks of his intolerance for any rival. In verse 3, the Lord says he will return to Zion. To the heart of Jerusalem and he was going to dwell there. This verse echoes chapter 1, verse 14. It said essentially the same thing. I'm coming and I'm going to dwell in your midst. Then the Lord turns and he renames the city. Now, he has the right to do that because centuries before, he had said, um, I believe it was uh, in the inauguration preparations for Solomon to become king, he said, I've chosen Jerusalem to place my name forever. And now he's going to name it as uh, the, the city of truth. Um, the word Hebrew word shakan is also used to help describe the Lord meeting with his people. Okay, So the city of truth, it's perhaps better translated, city of faithfulness. The Lord wants Jerusalem to shine on Judah's obedience and faithfulness. And it wants that same shine to, to show, on, show his divine faithfulness and righteousness. Given that Jerusalem and Judah <clears throat> is coming at this, at this from a background of faithlessness, covenant breaking, and spiritual adultery, in any such transformation, any shift like what's being described and promised, will proclaim God's awesome 
love, and power. Now lastly, in verse 3, he changes the name of the mountain of the Lord of hosts to be called the Holy Mountain. That high place called Moriah in Genesis was where Abraham was to travel to and then climb it, build an altar, lay it with wood, and put his son Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him to the Lord. And it is an angel that stops the downstroke of the knife. The angel stops the sacrifice of Isaac, and there is a ram stuck in the brush, provided a sacrifice, and then literally the, the term is Yahweh's, you know, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh. In this place the Lord will provide. In that same high place, that David comes as king, and he buys a windy, flat threshing floor at the high, one of the high points in Jerusalem from a Hittite. Because he's prepared to build a, a temple there to the Lord. And the Lord says, not you. It is Solomon, his son, who builds that, and the, the temple of Solomon on that spot. And then 250 years later, the Babylonians burned that temple to the ground. That high place was where Judah, under Zerubbabel, labored to rebuild the temple to the Lord. This, this, uh, this second temple, if you will. That high place today is the Dome of the Rock the site of the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. So in 1988, uh, some 20 of us pastors uh, were in Jerusalem, and we were led up flights of these stone stairs up to the door of the mosque, uh, Alaska Mosque, and um, we were told to take off our shoes. We weren't to talk. If we had to talk, we could whisper. And then we were sort of turned loose inside of this amazing structure uh, and to wander around. It was beautiful. There, there were uh, prayer rugs all over the vast floor, but it was set aside for Allah, not for the Lord of hosts. But I was particularly drawn to one of the back corners, and there was a gash in the rocks. And uh, it, that it was a drain that runs hundreds of feet down through the rocks. And it was the place where when the, when the priest had... had uh, You'd bring the animal, you would sacrifice the animal, you would catch the, the blood of the animal in a bowl. It'd be handed to the priest. The priest would dip his fingers into it and he would spatter that blood before the Lord. And that bowl went back with a Levite or went back with another priest and it was poured down that drain. <clears throat> that place called the Holy Mountain is destined to be where Jesus comes and builds another temple. But there's going to be vast physical and political change for that to happen. And I might add, it would be wonderful to see the, the billion or so Muslims come to the Lord. Again, another of the 17 times that the Lord uses his name in chapter 8. He, 17 times he says, the Lord of hosts... The Lord Almighty in this chapter, verses 4 and 5, describes the social situation in the future Jerusalem in which he, the Lord, will dwell. Old men and old women are going to sit in the squares of the city, and the old men will be sitting in the sunshine holding a staff in his hand just because he's elderly. And the sound of children at play will redound and rebound back and forth from the walls around these squares. That hadn't happened in Jerusalem for at least 70 years back before captivity. Now, most cities are rated for uh, military power or security. 
for their, um, how, how are you doing with education in that city? Uh, the museums, walking trails, parks, economic strength, culture, and art, not to mention the wealth of the city. Now here the Lord, through Zechariah, says that what matters will be how it is to affect, uh, have an effect on two unmentioned groups, the elderly and children. Then the Lord of hosts says in six, uh, verses 6 and 8, Does this seem impossible? Is this too difficult to imagine by you, the remnant of Judah, present in Jerusalem at this time, and to the committee here from Bethel? I'm going to save my people from east to west. He's going to gather them. I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem. Now, remember, he himself has promised to dwell in the midst of the city. Now, to get those people from the east and the west, from the scattered to the ends of the earth, he, it says, he will save them. First, the word here in Hebrew for save is Moshiach. It's nearly the pronunciation and spelling of Messiah, Messiah. But it, it is spot on in terms of what Messiah will be doing. He'll be saving. Okay, he'll be saving and returning and restoring. Then the Lord says, they will be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and righteousness. This is the second utterance of that promise because it came up in chapter 2, verse 11, and it's repeated twice more in Ezekiel, almost word for word. The Lord had promised Abraham with such words that he would be the God of Abraham's descendants, and he repeated those promises to the Israelites in the middle of their slavery crisis in Egypt before the Exodus. Jeremiah, in his prophecies of the new covenant, says, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. In that great eschatological day of all this coming to pass, all that rubble that was standing around the people of Judah, all that's going to be gone, and the restoration will be complete. For the Lord is ready to, at that time to demonstrate his faithfulness and righteousness. And verse 9 Zechariah speaks from the Lord over the listeners and all of Judah for them to be strengthened in the rebuilding of the temple. So he comes quickly into a line with Haggai. Haggai's ministry was, build that temple. And Zechariah's ministry was the spiritual transformation that had to take place. But here, the Lord speaks through Zechariah and says, be strengthened to finish this work. The Lord promises a full restoration from a destroyed economy to a thriving nation. There will be, says it, there'll be peace for the seed, vine, the vine will yield its fruit, the land its produce, and the heavens will release the dew and the rain that have been promised to the descendants of Abraham. The Lord continues to say that he will cause this remnant of Judah to inherit all these things. Verse 13, and I will come about, and it will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will have you, and that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Now note that it was not the Lord that cursed Israel or Judah. It was the nations that came in and swept them up and cursed them. Now the Lord is going to turn that around and save his people and make them a blessing to those nations that had been grinding on them, had scattered them. Again, the same word for save is Moshiach. 
Now, verses 14 to 17 restate, again, the, the do's and the do-nots listed, some of them, in, in Zechariah just previously. And that may have been, the, again, for the, the benefit of the men from Bethel, uh, but any time you're teaching, you want repetition, and you want it to stick, and you want it to be practiced, and you want it to be applied. Twice now, in verse 13 and 15, the Lord commands the crowd, do not fear. Immediately he follows with, these are the things that you should do. They were to speak the truth to one another and judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Because it was in the gates that the, the law of Moses was sorted out. The civil law and personal suits of you hurt me or you, you took my donkey or whatever it was. You, know, you handled that in the gates with the elders. Recently there was an Israeli excavation of a tell. Do you know what a tell is? A tell is, looks like a mountain. It's a, it's a rounded, mounded, looks like a hill, looks like a, a low mountain. But when you go to excavate from the top down, you find civilization and cities, and civilization and cities, and civilization, you just go down through. It's, it's an archaeological layering, ge, you know, geologic, down. You just keep going down until you hit dirt somewhere in there. And in that tell, they discovered the gates to the city. And when they set those aside and they figured out this is the gate, when they got inside the gates, on the right and on the left were stone benches that were set aside for the elders of the city to sit there to be able to pass judgment. <clears throat> then the Lord turns again to the don't do these list. He said, let no one devise evil in your hearts against one another and do not love perjury. Well, perjury means a false witness, a lie that's carefully defended as if it were true, fiercely defended as if it were true, and a false swearing in the name of the Lord. All of that, the Lord says, he hates. Now, in verse 18, 19, the Lord has had his say to the priests and the prophets and all the listeners that were there in Judah and the committee from Bethel. And now, he answers the original question about the days of fasting. Now, that fasting was going on in four separate months re regarding the past calamities in Jerusalem and subsequently to the fall of Jerusalem and, the, and when they were in captivity in Babylon. Again, Zechariah says that the Lord of hosts came to him saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast on the fourth, the, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the, ten and the tenth months will become joy gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah so love truth, the truth and peace see the Lord wanted those weeping fasts to be transformed into exultant joyful gatherings filled with laughter and he wants that because his relationship with Judah and, and her people is so good it's so close he wants the memory of their judgment and failure their exile and deprivation to just fade away Chapter 2, verse 1, Zechariah had declared that many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you. But in chapter 8, verse 20 to 22, the Lord speaks of populations of other cities who arouse themselves to go to another city and say, come, all of you, let's go up to Jerusalem to entreat the Lord, to seek his favor. Oh, and I'm going to come too, to try and move whole population groups, if you will, to come up to Jerusalem to be with the Lord. And then finally, 
The Lord of hosts says, In those days, ten men from all the nations will grasp the corner of the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That would make the ratio of nations to Jews a ratio of ten to one of those standing in Jerusalem worshiping. That speaks of the belief among the nations that the Jews have a unique relationship with the Lord and their righteousness that displays that. So, Forge family, Zechariah concludes chapter 8 with a call to confidence in the Lord for his blessings that are to come in the restoration and beyond. In Psalm 126, the psalmist has captured the flavor, the taste of Zechariah's transmitted prophetic words. This is what it says. When the Lord brought back the captive to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with, great so- with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them, and the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Now, for us, just in light of, of, of the, the, the teaching of Zechariah, the question to us, individually and corporately, if you will, is if we find ourselves today, if you find yourself with a memory of a lie, yet unaddressed before the Lord, and now the Lord longs for our purity and our personal purity here in our midst. Yes, he hates the lie, but he loves you. And today would be a day when he would call you out to return to him in that matter. He wants you to be loosed in your joy, but first things first. Bring it to him today. If you're called uh, by a memory of some angry, evil thoughts and plans, whether acted on or not, the Lord is calling out to you today to come and lay all that down at his feet and receive his forgiveness. If you've carried some sadness, like the Jews who wept and fasted four times a year over crushing memories of the Babylonian assault on Judah and Jerusalem, the Lord would have you turn today to choose joy, to lay down the sadness and all that pondered stuff from the past, and take up laughter in his presence because of his love for you. And if you've experienced a season of financial deprivation, or relational desolation. The Lord stands ready to bless your seed and your harvest, to fill you with peace in the working and the waiting, for his intent is to make you shine to those of the lost around you. Turn over any grief and grumpiness concerning your finances or your relationships and lean into his blessing and provision. That's a today thing. Let's pray. Lord God of heaven and earth, you know beyond any of our knowing, you see deep within to motives and memories, to choices and emotions. We would be those who submit to you all that separates us from your presence. Come today, Lord, and prompt right choices, prompt repentance, prompt joy in the forgiveness you offer. In Jesus' name. Amen.